be admitted after the guests check in. Ben's long dong. What's he gonna do? He's gonna get it wrong. It's hard. It's white. It's it's purple all night. Sticking it in your boo. Coming in and coming into. What you gonna say? What you gonna do? He's coming at you with two round balls. I honestly did not think your opening raps could get worse, but after <laughs> not doing them for so long, you you could have mixed. You could have rhymed do with goo. It was right there, dude. Okay, so. Goo on your face, poop on the floor, hitting that bottle, hitting that whore, moving real fast, moving real hard, slam your dick in a peanut jar. That's better. I'm actually, yeah, no, that was good. I'm Thanks. proud of I you. I just had to warm up, so. <laughs> Are we ready to start? We, we already started. Welcome to Motel Hell. Yeah. I've been the Beardo. And I'm the Dicko. <laughs> Sicko Dicko with a Fetty on the, on fleek. Oh, man. <laughs> Is that so cool? Did I nail it? Just when just you guys TikTok'd. thought, just when you guys thought we canceled the podcast. Nope, we're back. Yeah. First things first, we have to mention our OnlyFans is up. It's pretty sick. I think it's like Motel Hell, like OnlyFans slash Motel Hell podcast. I'm pretty positive. There is no content. Uh, well, there's a sick like back picture, like a backsplash picture of a chainsaw. And I think there's a picture of us, right, or something. I, I so, haven't been on it. Yeah. I don't have the money to, to <laughs> subscribe to it. Right now, it's it's like, um, what's-her-name's thing? Like, you can pay for the sets, but, like, you can see, like, a starter pick, you know. Yeah. Oh, God. This, <laughs> this fucking dog is going to bark. So. So, guys, we're back. I know it's been a long hiatus, but... Um, the COVID kids are back. Yeah. I mean, what would Motel Hell be without, like, in inter, intermittent episodes, long hiatuses? It feels like it's been six months, but also this whole year feels like it's been three days. Yeah. Big if true. I know. I can't remember where the pain started and where it ends. I think it's been about three months since we've recorded, so. Yeah. Hopefully we're back. I'm not as depressed, so. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of makes me worried. I feel like we work best in depression. That's sort of our medium. I didn't say I wasn't depressed. <laughs> I'm just not as depressed. High five. That's High five. called getting well. Yeah. So getting well with Motel Hell. Yeah. That's uh we are not licensed. Please don't come to us for therapy. <laughs> yeah. Uh so we're gonna do an easy one for us. No prep. And <laughs> I mean I actually have a two page list, but I have nothing. We decided to do an early end of the year recap because this will be out you know mid-december and uh we've got some we've got some big episodes on deck but in order to sort of get back in the flow we figured fucking knock this out of the way first and i know that we our last posted episode was the uh bdmft 2018 and 19 record so this might feel sort of similar to that, but we've got more to say than just talking about music, although... Oh, God, a, I hope so. There is a fair amount of music to talk I'm about. I'm already so, so tired. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to do our best, and then we're going to do our worst uh, uh, sort of parts about the year, and I think, you know, we can ignore the elephant in the room as far as 
Obviously, COVID sucks for everybody, so I don't think, you know... What the fuck is COVID? Exactly. I just don't leave my house. I mean, it's not anything different I was going to say, yeah, that sounds pretty much the same. So, uh, do you want to start uh, life events? Any any big, happy changes? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm not dying anymore. That's a plus. Yeah. I guess... Did we record after my month-long stay in the hospital? I don't believe so. I had a month-long stay in the hospital. It was awful i had a nurse stealing meds for me that was that was a fucking trip yeah um what uh, if god was one of us what if god was one of us i got stomach ulcers uh. i think partially due to the fact that i was eating ibuprofen like candy yeah but uh any other big life events no my kid's still pretty cool you moved, but we definitely recorded after you moved, I think, so... Yeah, I definitely remember... We were uh, the Tanya Corringly? Is that her name? That was her name, Toya, right? Toya, Toya Corringly. We recorded that episode as I sat in my recliner and definitely was not masturbating the whole time. Right. And I want to say that was a big highlight episode for me, but uh, I still feel bad about my just terrible pronunciation of uh australian things yeah and and karen's is i characterized it as like a small city it's not it's big <laughs> it's quite large so oh uh, um unsolved mysteries totally ripped one of our ideas from us which one was that the uh xavier family murder renegade oh yeah 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 they did yeah they totally listened to our episode and was like we gotta do an episode on this yeah i don't want to say we did it first but obviously we, we did 100 percent did it first yeah. Yeah, by like a long time, so. Uh, but no, yeah, I haven't gotten COVID, so not much has happened. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we both had different quarantine experiences because of potential exposure, but none of us have tested positive, and, you know, it's been nine months running, so kudos to us. Good for us. We're yeah. good boys. We wear masks in public. True. So, uh, I guess I would say, as far as myself goes, I finished my Tetsuo half-sleeve that I started last February, and for me, that's pretty, that's like Sonic level speed, year and a half to get a tattoo done. Yeah, I mean, I honestly didn't realize that you were going to put photorealistic testicles on the bottom of it, but they look great. I know, I wanted like Truck Nuts meets Tetsuo the Iron Man, <laughs> so uh, that's been pretty sick, and... Yeah, I'm really we should contact Tsukamoto and be like, Truck Nuts plus Tetsuo, maybe your next movie? Yeah. Uh, please credit us as producers. But no, I'll, I'll put a picture on the OnlyFans and uh, maybe the Instagram, too, of the tattoo. It looks, I think, really good. My, my artist, who did my entire back over the course of six years, uh, did this one, and we were just having a ball with it. And then I also got a Soul, Ma Soul Mania tattoo on my other arm, and that was just kind of for fun and kind of, you know, an ultimate fanboy move to do a humongous half my arm band logo. I remember at one point I asked you, this was years ago, if you were ever going to get tattoos on your arms. You're like, Dot, dude, I'm never going to get tattoos on my arm. And then COVID happened. And you're like, I have two tattoos on two different arms now. Well, I mean, this, the, the Tetsuo one started last year. So, you know. Yeah, but you finished it during. Yeah, I did a lot of the work during COVID. Yeah. So, but. Uh, you know, I gotta I gotta make sure my tattoo artist is eating too, and Andrew Johnson Lally is his name. I'll I'll try tattooing to is his game. Yeah, I'll tag him on the uh, Instagram. He's an incredible artist all all the way around, and he's got good taste in music. And we spend like half of every session just talking about black metal and 
how superior our taste in music is, but also how everybody's taste in music is dumb because everybody thinks their taste is the best and it's always trash. I understand that. Yeah. So, and the Soul Mania thing is just hilarious. I finally got to send a picture of it to Ono Masahiko and he just responded like, I think this morning and was like, tattoo is great. <laughs> <laughs> so, cheers to him for uh, being such an excellent artist that I decided to tattoo his band's fucking logo on my arm. Just wild out here. You're uh, such a fucking simp. Yeah, it's true. So, other big things for me, I put out seven new releases on Vanity Recordings, which was really cool. Most of them I did everything. I hand-dubbed them. I did the artwork. Well, I did the artwork for all of them, but, like, I printed the J-cards. I cut the J-cards and folded them. I got special paper for every release. Some of the releases, like, I did six different colors of... Uh, you know, paper for it, or some of them had like variations of different types of artwork. So, the most recent tape I did was a, a tribute to Keith Brewer, who passed last year, and is all focused around Black Christmas. I did hand spray painted boxes. I got like a special stamp made with the band logo for Virgin Entrails. Did like silver ink. Every box had its own design. Uh, every J card was different. And, you know, just, like, went to town on it, which was partially because of quarantine and everything. It was like, I'm not seeing anybody? Well, I guess I'll just spend the next, you know, four weeks doing whatever art project. Look, all I'm saying is, one album you release should be, like, a very limited release, maybe, like, 20 copies. That's been almost all of them lately. Well, maybe even smaller than that, right? Okay. You take the tape, you put it in a Ziploc, you put the Ziploc into a jar. You see where I'm going with this? You just nut in the jar for weeks. Okay. Now, edition of one cum jar tape. Yeah. Sell it for like, I don't know, like 40 bucks. You love jerking off, so, you That's know, don't, true. don't overprice it. Yeah, I know. It's work, but like, when you love what you do, is it really work? Yeah. And like, you could have like a special note, like, put like a hyperlink to, <laughs> to like the Pornhub video you're watching and the timestamp when you nutted. Yeah. I like that. That'd be just so many timestamps. Um, yeah, so I've, I've got, I think that's it for the year. I've got a double tape planned for next spring and I just started work on a collaborative album with Unclean. So that'll be fun. So look, look for stuff. But I I did want to mention, I did two reissues of Skrilloma, who's a Japanese artist who's incredibly talented and they were sort of, wasn't that long in the works, but I had asked him a year ago. He had issues getting back to me, and then we were able to reconnect this year, and I went out and took all these photographs and used the photographs for the artwork, and it was just cool to be like, I have an idea. Are you on board? Yes, I'm on board. He trusted me to like basically do all sorts of stuff, and I came up with what I thought was a really cool and professional-looking product for, and a reissue that allowed more people to hear what are, I think amazing industrial albums from Japan that didn't have the sort of notoriety that other projects uh, running do. And he's got ties to Linecraft and I, Linecraft is uh, really a household name right now. So I think it's like, I think more people are hearing it, which is the whole idea. Well, you also did the uh, throat collab, right? Oh yeah. So I did, I earlier this year, I did a remix of, uh, throat song recut from their bareback album that was awesome uh the double cd just came out in september 
It's on dope. Se- on September 11th, yeah. It's really got, it's a du- you know, double CD, so it's the album remixed twice over. All the songs get, you know, two different people remixing them. And uh, I was pleased with the way I did mine. I, I already would change things about it. I have to say I was a little, I kind of wish, you know, what... But I was trying to accomplish something different than what I normally do and also different than what a lot of the other artists offered. And I feel like I I did that. It's sort of a cover meets a remix. So. I liked the song you did. Thank you. And it was very fun. Uh, after you gave it to me, I, I had it in my car and it was like 6.30 in the morning in a dark parking lot sitting in front of my work smoking cigarettes until I have to go inside and just getting like weird looks from the people who were like scheduled earlier than me like what the fuck is that coming from that person's car yeah yeah it sounds just like a car accident happening over and over and over so uh yeah that was definitely a cool one so the other big stuff i'm in a position to buy a house now which is crazy and flex lex and i have been putting in offers not having them accepted trying to buy a house i thought i'd be dead by now it's sort of stressful. Sometimes I wish I was dead, but, you know, not everybody gets that opportunity, so that's been really cool. And, uh... We're, we're trying to go, like, one more year. So we had money saved up, but then the world started to end, so... I know, it's nuts. Uh, it's sort of related to that, not at all. I got my car pro-tuned at the very beginning of quarantine, and... It drives better than ever, plus I'm better at driving than, than ever. Except for those, like, two flats you got in, like, two days, right? Yeah, well, that's nothing to do with my driving and everything to do with the fact that people just leave, like, gigantic steel hooks in the middle of the road, so... Initial D would have missed them. Yeah, maybe, so... Yeah, that's a Dom whole different Dom from the Fast story. and the Furious would have missed them. You never had me! You never had your car! <laughs> that's not his accent, but, you know, you guys get it. Sounded exactly like the Flash and the Furious, so... And then also, as far as cars go, I started building model cars because I'm actually 90, and uh, that's been really cool. Although, I was really hot and heavy with it for like three weeks at the beginning of quarantine, and then life got as busy as it was, so... It'll do that. But I've got another... I've got an R32, another uh, Z32 to do, and... I have an RX-7 from Weston, so... You can tell that you're not trying to spend a bunch of money and you're trying to buy a house because there's not one Gumpla in here that you're building right now. I have three of them I just put in storage that were, like, next on the list, but I'm like, I have to buy more paints for them, and I'm like, don't do this. God, I want to buy one. Yeah. I have the old kits that are from the 80s. They're not, like, the fun new ones. They, they're they rough. Yeah, but are, are are they, like, fully intact? Yeah. Like, not cut out of, like, the plastic skeleton and everything? Nope. I bet they're worth money, yo. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. They're such flimsy. So the, the Comfort I have up there, that's one of them. I have a duplicate of that kit. Then I have a a Dom. It's it's not just a regular Dom unit. It's, like, something Dom. Uh, and I have another. That one is the Beiwoo, I think it is. And I have the original it's version. It's a Beiwoo. Uh, I have the original like '80s version of it, so I was I was going to buy some Gumpla at the beginning of quarantine, and then like I, prices have changed, man. They're not the same as they were. They're not that bad. If you get HD kits, they're they're so nice, and if you do a good job clipping them out and 
just doing a little bit of sanding and just like spending a little more time putting it together non-painted hg kits are they look fairly decent like you're always going to suffer on the weapons more than anything and if you paint one thing you might as well paint it all but i have to say like i wish i had done a gundam before i did my z32 especially because i decided to do a custom outer body paint color and that was a fucking nightmare but <laughs> you live and you learn so but modeling is also something that a basically tons of people got into when quarantine started so it was there was a mad rush i got to the hobby stores right before it started and now there was like a three-month period where you just couldn't get, get anything yeah it was insane so and plus all this stuff couldn't come from japan because shipping was stopped so so those are my big events well and the other one is watching cure by kiyoshi kurosawa from 1997 which we should have talked about from the top but now is as good time as any I would consider that a year event because I saw it three times and it was easily my favorite movie I saw in the entire year. So, well, okay. So I guess there's a couple before we get into it. Sure. I'll finish up a couple of my life events. I guess I got promoted. Okay. Because I rock at everything I do. Obviously. I don't know how much uh, of this stuff people actually find interesting, but um, I guess that's the only thing. No, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> it's time for our movie review. Yeah. Movie review. I you think, guys remember we do that? I think I'll... We'll, we'll talk... Let's talk movies and then we'll end with music. And I'm sure you can talk about some games that you played and stuff like that. Yes. Okay. So, let's talk about movies first. We'll start it off. Tonight we watched Cure by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who's a sort of auteur director. Came out in 1997. It's probably his most famous movie along with Pulse. And I've been interested in watching this movie for ages i heard about this like so long ago and it's always been kind of in my mind and then in the last couple of years when i've really been sort of eating up all of the good japanese cinema from the late 80s to the 90s especially when like the industry was changing so much and you had people like shinya sukamoto and other auteur directors coming and shaking things up because the studio system was failing and the like this directed video market was exploding and you have just like all this like freedom and weirdness and blah 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 and plus it's all post economic bubble burst stuff for japan so it's such a depressed time to be making films in it gives it, it you just wind up with like all the malaise that i want to see yeah and i so i've been dying to watch this movie there's no way to get it in the u.s and finally it came out on the Criterion channel, and so in June, I signed up for the Criterion channel. And most annoyingly, you can't watch it on a PS4. They have an app for everything but a PS4. And so I had to watch it on my computer, which is fine. It's got a, got a huge sound system back here and whatever. But So I was in this claustrophobic environment watching this movie that is... I wouldn't call it claustrophobic, but it's like all tight interior stuff for the most part. And I was just fucking blown away on my first watch. I mean, even most of the outdoor scenes are like alleyways, very close quarters. And... Yeah, there's that amphitheater shot, and there's there's a couple other like nighttime shots that are a little bit more open. But the focus... I was sort of thinking as we watched it again tonight, so this was my third viewing, uh, how the focus of, I think, most Japanese movies is interiors because... That's most of Japan, at least if they're centered around cities, like it's, it's sort of the whole thing, right? Like you're in the concrete jungle, like there's no way to feel outside in an open kind of a way, you know, there's no revenant qualities about most of them. I mean, there are a lot of movies that can be, but then they're far from Tokyo. Yeah. So very far from Tokyo. Yeah. 
Which is sort of the whole Miyazaki thing, where it's like most of his movies take place in rural places, and then like go into like rural secrets or like sci-fi cities. Or, you know what I mean? It's 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 always not Tokyo. So. Yeah, except for Kiki's Delivery Service, a lot of that True. takes place in a city. Yeah, but anyway, so Cure is. I would say if you haven't seen it and you're interested and you can spend the 10 bucks to get Criterion Channel, just skip the next 5-10 minutes and go watch it because... We're going to talk about it. Yeah, well, it's one of those kinds of movies where it really is like the... I went into it knowing next to nothing and just knew that I, I thought I would like it and was just like on the hook and in for the ride the whole time from the moment it started and I would hate to sort of diminish somebody's immediate returns by explaining a movie that should just be watched. One of my things that's very was very nice about watching it is so many so much media nowadays is always relying on some big twist at some point or some gotcha moment. And this movie doesn't really have that. It's just there's a story it tells and the story happens. There isn't like some crazy it's not like the end of um Raw. It's not like the end of Raw, mm. where they didn't need to wrap it up in some twisty bow, and then they they did fucking do anyway. It's the French; they can't help themselves. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, no, I agree. It it was so the thing. I guess there's a couple things to mention up front. There's definitely influence from David Fincher's Seven. There's influence to a lesser extent from Silence of the Lambs. It sort of comes at the end of a wave in Japanese pop culture that started with Silence of the Lambs. That really was the world over where like that movie came out and everybody was super into the idea of larger than life, complicated villains who, you know, these serial killer type villains that weren't necessarily like comic book uh, craziness, but like more interesting and nuanced, and that movie was amazing because it Masterminds. had two of them. Right, like it had two of them. You had Hannibal Lecter and you had Buffalo Bill, and you know, and you had this interesting police procedural psychodrama. And people already love police procedurals, and then you add these like extra juicy elements. There's like sex stuff, and there's you know cannibalism and whatever. And in Japan, especially. Everybody fucking loves Sounds of the Lambs. And so there were tons of uh, police procedurals based around psychosexual, violent, whatever, serial killing type plot lines that now, like, we're all just, that's what you would expect. But, like, that was really, that was the huge explosion of it. And this movie is kind of at the end of that fad, as it were. Yeah, we're, we are so engrossed into the true crime era at this point. Oh, wait, we're on a semi-true crime podcast, yeah. aren't we? Weird! But I guess my point being that, like, it has some of those familiar feelings, but the thing that I love about it is that there isn't, like you said, Ben, there's no, not only is there no big twist, but there's no big explanation. It reminds me more than anything of Suicide Club because there are... What are you going to say? No, no, no. Uh, it, it has... It it cuts deeper into the sort of, I think, Japanese... The psyche of the Japanese people more than more than it is just a police procedural. And it, it has, like... It doesn't ask questions, but I think it pulls on themes 
of that are like important to Japanese society without going into like sort of psychobabble diatribes like Suicide Club does. There are a couple times where it's like, you know, the, the sort of villain of the story asks people like, who are they? Who are they above and beyond their name? You know, it, it gets into these issues, but well, I've now lost my train of thought. I think you were going to say something. What I was going to say was that from that sort of like cultural level, yes, but I feel like Suicide Club was a lot more surrealistic. And to me, this movie, for the most part, wasn't like a lot of movies we watch like this where it has that huge surreal... Even, even like Pulse, right? Like Pulse had this kind of dreamy yeah like david lynch like dreaminess to it and this seemed a lot more concrete and wasn't so abstract sure i would agree with that uh, and i my personal favorite thing about the movie is how cohesive it all felt yeah and i think like we had talked about before we were recording the sound design is probably the biggest part of that but okay we're we're gonna start to get into some spoilers of the movie so, if you guys don't want spoilers, listen to Dick Fetty, go get Criterion, and watch the damn movie. So, you know, the whole movie is about this killer, I guess? Not really a killer, but a killer who hypnotizes people and has them, or allows them, to kill somebody in their life, right? So, hypnotism spoke a lot through the movie, and... Throughout the movie, there are little things in the background and stuff that's more focused on that's all things either used in hypnotism or the villain himself uses in hypnotism. Oh, villain's not the right word. Antagonist yeah. uses in hypnotism. And it's all, like, very well done. It all feels like a very complete whole picture. Uh, there's also an obscene amount of white noise which just made me feel cozy yeah it it's a movie that i think to sort of go off of what you're saying not only is it like complete and well-rounded but it's it's methodically thought out yes. like on every level and the sort of the film itself in the way that it's the locations that it's shot the way in which it's shot the performances of the actor the dialogue itself the sound design uh, all create, they all come together to create this hypnotic vibe when you're watching it, like to induce you to a trance, to bring you to the same place as all the, the characters in the film, and like hypnotic, trance-inducing, all that. Especially with the kind of music I listen to, it's one of the most overused, descriptive type of things. But as somebody who enjoys that kind of feeling and those types of things, like. Yes, they might be overused, but they often are applicable to stuff I'm interested in. And if ever there was a movie that earned like the description of it has a hypnotic quality, this is the one. I mean, it is it is consciously designed to invoke that sort of rhythmic, undulating, white noise oriented just flow. And the the sound design is so more than any other aspect of it, like makes it, I think, in some ways the most obvious, but also the most effective. Like, scenes change and things happen, not... are And the, the change is told 
more than any other way by like the way that the sound changes suddenly all that white noise drops out or like the or all of a sudden there's like a much louder constant tone like the scene in the hospital where it went from that like huh and then they were wheeling the car and it's just like cling clang and the wheels yeah. squeaking and everything it's it's just everything the sound design and the visuals just fit together so perfectly yeah i mean that was that's really that's really the thing for me, and it was. Uh, it's going to show up in some Virgin Entrails work in one way or another in the future. I, I did a a tape that was sort of a weird feed, feedback loop between the Swedish harsh noise artist Blod, the Japanese, uh, also sort of similar but extremely different psychodrama Angel Dust, and the drug itself. And I feel like I see another Virgin Entrails release, which will have a similar kind of all-encompassing approach to this idea. And it's going to be more than just sampling the movie. But yeah, I mean, I have to say, I wrote a review of it that I think was, it was a, it was a larger and more thought out review than like good kills, good tits, bad dialogue or whatever, which is, I try to keep things short a lot of times. Not that you guys would know that because I freaking talk forever, but I wrote a long review on Letterboxd for it because it it just really it was it was easily my favorite movie of the year. I think it's like maybe my favorite movie I've seen in the last year plus. When I when I had watched it in June, it was like I looked back at the movies I had watched since June 2019 and I had seen Violent Cops, Sonatine, and there was a couple other big ones, a lot of Takashi Miike stuff or I'm sorry, Takeshi Kitano. And even compared to all those, this this is like so what I'm into, you know what I mean? It's just a movie that was like, do you like all of these things? Oh, you do? Then you're going to like really like this. Yeah, but doesn't part of you wish that B. Takeshi played the detective in this? <laughs> Although I have to say that this guy was so good. I he mean, was incredible. Yeah, B. I T just... B. Takeshi would be, though, I'm so used to his understated explosive violence dynamic that like it, I would have been expecting it, not knowing this actor. B. Takeshi is like the hot sauce of Japanese actors for me. I put that shit on everything. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I love that. That's a good one. But, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go on and on forever, but I I, I could, and I will say that, like, I, I cannot recommend it enough. If you're into experimental music, especially if you're into, like, dark ambient and industrial and that kind of stuff, then this has got to tick at least that box. And, you know, for some people, they might find it, Maybe it's a little bit boring, or maybe the performance of the antagonist is a little trying. But the other thing that it reminded me hugely of was Boogie Pop Phantom. It has, there's Boogie Pop Phantom, there's not really Serial Experiments Lane. Well, that's the funny thing, right? Because, like, when we watched Pulse the whole time, I was like, this is just Serial Experiments yeah. Lane. Yeah. It, 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 and the, the, of course, the interesting part is that, of course, all these things come out from this same like five year window. And that's, that to me is what I kept thinking of after the movie was this, this is like, it's partially my taste, but it's also what Japan was going through. Japan film from like 1995 to 2001 is some of the most brutal, like malaise induced, inducing just not even nightmare fuel, but like, everyone seems to be miserable. Like, there is not a person who exists in Japanese society who doesn't have a figurative or literal demon, monster, parasite, death urge, death drive 
buried inside them and whether it's like boogie pop phantom where they're literally plucking like yeah like grief bugs out of people or it's like this where it's the hypnotism unleashes sort of erases their social front and allows people to act on their true impulses or it's pulse where it's like you know are the alienation of technology creates like opens pathways into i don't know i would say not tertiary but like coexisting dimensions whatever it is it's always like everyone's lonely everyone's unhappy everyone's repressed i mean that does sound a lot like japanese society and on top of it it takes place in cities which look like they're just rusting to the ground and every room they're in looks like an abandoned building yeah it's so good and there's there's um a really good review on the midnight eye website and uh where they talk about this and i i think it was in that review and i, I guess i'll end with this on on cure which is they were talking about how so much of the it goes back to the sort of shinto uh religious stuff where they rebuilt their shrines on a regular basis like that was part of the whole thing it was like we don't build these to last forever we rebuild these right so the isei which is the most like famous shinto shrine they have the plot of land right next to where the shrine sits is where they build the new shrine and then they tear that one down and they like and then they have the other one there and they just back and forth forever and that's like the whole thing it's part of the religion and the cycle of life and yada yada and so so much of japanese uh building in architecture is based on the fact that they get hit with mad earthquakes mad typhoons all sorts of other issues Edo, tokyo whatever has burned down so many times fukushima right so they build stuff to like they build stuff to decay and be destroyed safely as safe as possible with the understanding that things are going to get rebuilt, like things that in America we would assume would never be rebuilt. So, uh, but the problem was, was that at the height of the eighties, they were like, yeah, let's build, 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 build. And then the bubble bursts and suddenly all these structures that were supposed to be up for 10 or 20 years at most are just still up and yep. there's no money to build them, refurb, refurbish them, rehab them or whatever. And so what looks like, every Japanese director I like scouting out all the most deserted places in Japan is in fact like the weird reality of like people living amongst decay in a way that you wouldn't comprehend. And it's probably exaggerated through the films, but is, is, is a direct result of the economic bubble burst, which because of the era of media that I ingest from Japan is like the single greatest factor on almost all that stuff. You know, most of it is hugely influenced by that history historical event because it was kind of like the most important thing that happened post reconstruction well post you know hiroshima nagasaki atomic holocaust or whatever we're supposed to call it so so that's cure you should probably watch it sick it's 10 out of 10 access yeah i had 12 out of 10 <clears throat> it was it's like i every i think about that movie almost every day and it just grows and grows in my mind yeah, I honestly, it, this whole, pretty much like last like year and a half has all blurred together for me so badly, but I'm pretty sure this year I watched Parasite, I think. Yeah, well it was 20, it was the 2019 Academy Award winner, so you probably saw it. Yeah, whatever. Either way, I thought that was like the best movie I had seen in a long time, and that kind of has moved down to second now. But... As far as other movies are concerned, since we're now on the movie subject. Yeah, hit me with it. Um, 
and we're gonna I probably some of this stuff we'll talk about like in greater lengths in maybe future episodes, but um if you guys don't know, Dick Fetty and I like to torture ourselves occasionally. <laughs> we have started finishing up a lot of series. I'm glad you're gonna movie talk about the same thing I wanted to talk about. That we had started years ago. Uh one of them was Halloween. Yes, it was. We finally finished all of the Halloween movies. Uh-huh. I had to see them all. Yes. Yes. Even... Bust-a-ween. Even... <laughs> listen, Bust-a-ween was It's actually good, yeah. It's it's not Zombies Halloween 2, man. No. Oh, my God. Yeah, so Ben, ben has been telling me for years about how bad Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is, and... I believed him, so I never wanted to watch it. And then we had a choice. It was Busta Ween or it was it was uh, Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie. And and we had to watch a really shitty stream of it because it was it on was like so AMC bad. or whatever. And they had like a bootleg version, but it cost us money. Or I think it was actually free because we had the free trial, whatever. But like... It looked like we were watching it on a fucking CRT. Yeah, it was so rough, and it's a terrible movie. It's so bad. I mean, there are people who staunchly defend it online, and I'm not even going to say, like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. Like, you're definitely pulling things out that, like, I'm not seeing. I'm at the age where if you like a movie I don't like, that's fine. And I, I'm pretty sure we've had some hot takes on yeah. the podcast. yeah. I know... I've definitely called more than one person a fucking idiot, but... <laughs> well, okay, uh... <laughs> fuck, what was... What was the that one robot movie we watched by the guy who did the film? Hardware. Hardware. I fucking hate that movie. Yeah, I know. There Tons are of people we like, so like many it. people let love that movie. Yeah. Um, I never want to watch that again. Another movie that we hate being... Uh, oh God, my brain's not working today. All Rob Zombie movies? Yeah, I have a huge dis dislike for Rob Zombie, but film-wise, no. Um, Martyrs. Oh, yeah. We went off on Martyrs. And and Hot Tension. High Tension. Uh, people actually like High Tension? Are you kidding me? That was the start of the French New Extremity. That was like the whole thing. Everybody was like, this is the greatest movie ever. And then they made Martyrs after it. Uh, and yeah. I st- <laughs> that's the only reason I created OnlyFans is to recoup the expense of having to pay for <laughs> Martyrs. <laughs> So, anyway, I'm getting away from my point. We watched all of the Halloween movies, which, for the most part, were a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It's it's really just, um, doc- for most, the original series, let's say, outside of when they rebooted it, it's just Dr. Loomis being crazy Dr. Loomis, which was pretty fantastic. Yeah, crazier and crazier. And we actually, I was I was looking up before we did this episode, so we did review Halloween 5, because we watched it. Last time we recorded yeah. in person, we did that on the air, so we'll spare you that. But I mean, yeah, it, it, the crazy thing is, is that, like, Halloween, so some people are very divided, but, like, I would say Halloween 2 is as good as a sequel gets in the sense of uh, you lose a lot of the magic, and they try to fucking put in that whole, she's his sister, whatever, blah, 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 shit that's, like, unnecessary but at the end of the day, I think it's in part because we all know, like, the millions of, like, mediocre slashers that are just, like, good for the gore but not for much else. Like, the movie still works, I think, effectively on every level, including being a Halloween sequel and is extremely violent, has top-tier tits, like, really awesome dead body art. 
And then you got Halloween three, which for some is a you know no Michael Myers, no Halloween. Obviously, I love that fucking we, yeah, movie. Yeah, we worship that movie. It is so awesomely ridiculous. Halloween four is just straight up good. I, I mean, yeah, it's I don't know, straight up good. It's pretty solid. I would. It's pretty solid. I, I would say it's almost a seven, seven and a half. Like out of really, I. I there was a lot to like there. It I mean maybe it was probably a seven. It, that I was guess. the one with Paul Rudd, right? No, that no 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 no. That's that was five. six. That was six. Yeah. My God, everything's blending together. Yeah. Four was the one where he comes back. There's a lot of peekaboo and uh, the town is like mad deserted, you know, and it it, it was good. Yeah, yeah. And it ends with the dynamiting in the barn. That part was a little silly, <laughs> but five we've already reviewed, and then. Six was the one with Paul Rudd, which is, is that's more fun than good, yeah. for sure, but was... Just imagine Paul Rudd and Dr. Loomis having scenes together. Yeah, there's this whole incest... He steals whole, a baby. Yeah, <laughs> stuff that happens. We watched the producer's cut, which is substantially different than the original theatrical cut. There's, whole, like, a whole different ending that we saw, I, I realize, yeah. after the fact and whatever. Then there's Halloween H2O. That's the real problem film. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Is it worse than Zombieween 2? See, that's tough because I I just remember watching H2O with you and thinking I have never been so bored. I have almost never been so bored in my life. Here's my thing, though, right? Josh Hartnett. I just like looking at Josh Hartnett. Sure, man. I give you that. And it was endlessly comical to me that a Mike tiny. Myers was like four feet tall and skinnier than someone with, with like that's malnourished like yeah. it's it was so ridiculous cuz Josh Hartnett's a pretty tall dude and he's decked out in that 90s gear that made like skinny tall dudes their shoulders just look like a Mack truck yeah you know what i mean yeah, i do and i think of him often from the faculty so they just them standing next to each other and Josh Hartnett having to act that he's afraid of this man yeah. Was so tickling to me. Will I ever watch it again? No. No. But... I absolutely refuse. Uh, yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, the thing, though, to me, I guess, was that I was so prepared for the shit fest that was going to be Halloween 2. Uh, Halloween, you know, what'd you call it? Zombieween 2? Zombieween 2. Zombieween 2. That it, it wasn't a shock to the system, whereas I thought H2O was going to be kind of good, and it was not... It was both boring and laughable. It in was all incredibly the wrong ways. boring, and so many of the characters stay alive for so long of the movie. There were scenes in Zombie Wing Two that were good, plus Brad Dorf's in it, so you always get bonus points for that. But the biggest thing about that movie that and we saw what's her face naked again. Yeah, kinda. And but the the most disappointing part about it was that the first Zombie Wing wasn't amazing and was honestly dumb. But fun. But, like, fun. There was and good gore. There was, there was good boobies. Yeah, really quality stuff. And the the characters were, as far as slash movies go, they were fine enough. They were kind of believable. I liked the main chick. And then she's made unbearable in the second movie. And that's really what, to me, harms it more than... I'm, well, okay, that and Michael Myers making sounds and being maskless 90% of the time really, really ruin it. <clears throat> Yeah, he's just like a Sons of Anarchy guy that like couldn't get a job on Sons of Anarchy, and it's just like fuck you, dude. And then I think one of the guys from Sons of Anarchy. There's like three in, dudes from yeah. Sons of Anarchy in that movie. Oh man! So it was a bad, uh, 
cross what do they call it cross fic cross hack fic slash slash fic okay well i know i've i've talked about my hatred for uh rob zombie movies quite a few times and my thing about rob zombie movies is the ones where he's stolen the ideas which is most of them yeah are passable right not not necessarily good but passable as a movie sure Halloween 2 <laughs> felt like the first, like one of the first times he was like, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. I'm going to write my own story. It's going to be deep. And it's like, it's not. Yeah, that just bothers me less. I mean, because it's so, it's just such a mess. It, it felt like, but it hey, felt like a teenager trying to be way too edgy. I agree. But remember the one awesome part about it was... Uh, Malcolm McDowell's Loomis as Bad Loomis. was incredible. That was amazing. And I have to say that, again, compared to H2O, it was like every time he was on screen, he was super entertaining, and that whole thing was great. I mean, the ending of it was stupid and whatever, but the like... Question, the question is, though, is it the writing carrying it, or is it just Malcolm McDowell being awesome? No, no, no. I, well, it's a little bit of both. They wrote a character that was just a ton of fun, even if he was, like too outrageously asshole-ish. It was... I thought that that stuff was really good, but anything to do with Michael Myers, who's, like, I, you know, supposed to be the cool part of the movie, was the worst, because it was either white horse bullshit, or, you know, whatever. And and then watching it... Oh, yeah. But, but, uh, you know, and then the other thing, sort of where we started, was Bustaween, which is Halloween 8, the last movie before they did all this, has... Minimal tits, but that one chick was super hot, who you did see nude. Yes. And it had Buster Rhymes, and he, like, basically karate kicks the shit out of Michael Myers. Roundhouse that motherfucker. Which was, like, actually really cool to me, because I love Buster Rhymes. When I was a kid, he was, like, a big deal, and I was like, Buster Rhymes is so cool. And watching it as a 33-year-old, I was like, Buster Rhymes is so cool. So, I had no issues with that. That's the thing I love about horror movies from that era, though, is, like, you'd occasionally get a rapper in there. Oh, yeah. And then they'd More than rap occasionally. About, yeah. <laughs> but, and it's something that, like, Fast and the Furious ended up doing with, at least all of the Fast and Furious movies I've seen. Jaw Rule or Ludacris. Jaw Rule, Ludacris. Like, they'd be in there, and then they'd rap about the movie. Yeah. Which just is... Oh, yeah. Well, the 90s uh, was huge for having... Uh, motion picture soundtracks and you know with songs inspired by the motion picture so it was like yeah. when I bought the Blade soundtrack expecting to get Source Direct and <laughs> whatever else and then it was like 90% mediocre rap I mean even as a kid who liked mediocre rap I was like this is not what I wanted LL Cool J got robbed on Halloween H2O that's all I'm saying yeah sure so but yeah the Halloween series was a ton of fun and then the other one we went through was um oh duh we just did it. We just finished it. It was all six Resident Evil movies in a month, a month and a half. Only because we didn't get to hang out more. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's there's we, only six. Oh, you mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would have watched them sooner. Yes. I mean, we basically, we watched five of them. We watched four of them in two days. <laughs> <laughs> or three days. And then we had, to, we had to watch, I watched the first one with Alexa first on Halloween. And... We watched uh, the last one with a, after a little break, but yeah, yeah, that was a that was a ball. So I mean, well, you you go ahead. I just talk about. Talk well, I, I mean, I I'd, I'd still strangely enough like to do a whole episode on 
The second one? Just the whole, just the movies as a whole. Oh, yeah, we're going to do that. And how just insane it is. But yeah, that's a sneak preview, guys. We're going to do a whole episode on Resident Evil yeah. films. It, it, it just it, it boggles my mind because they're so far from the source material outside of using some of the monsters, zombies, and not even making the characters like their video game counterparts just thrown a name on them. Yeah, yeah. Like Sometimes a semi-costume. Leon, who's arguably one of the most famous, res- if not the most fav- famous Resident Evil character, is in, like, four scenes in one of the movies, and I then mean, dies. I think Jill is definitely more. Ah! Cause she's who's got Ma- more games? Jill. Because she's in Marvel vs. Capcom multiple times. Mm, damn it. Alright, I guess you're and right. That, that's a whole different audience that gets carried over, so. Yeah. Well, I guess it was it was Jill, Leon, Jill, Leon. Yeah. Hmm. Leon. But, yeah, no, I mean, so I watched the original Resident Evil movie probably six months to a year after it came out, downloading it from Kazaa, and taking it a, like, a sick day, my freshman year of high school, and... I wasn't a huge Resident Evil fan at the time, but I knew when the movie was like originally coming out, watching Mila Jovovich karate kick dogs in the face in slow-mo was not for me. Also, you got to see her nipples in the in one of the first scenes. That's true. But I just thought, this looks like the dumbest thing ever, because when I was a kid, I was way snootier than I am now. The older I get, like, the... Well, you know. The less we care. Our taste is just terrible. And so... And I watched it on this, you know, old school, like, 40, you know, 480 fucking resolution, whatever. And thinking, like, actually, this isn't that bad, but it still was just kind of, like, I even as a not huge Resident Evil fan, I was like, why did they even call this Resident Evil? This has, like, so little to do. And when I rewatched it now, you know, however many, like, almost 20 years later with Alexa on Halloween, I was like, well, this is... This is like a weird horror action hybrid, but I'm like really excited to kind of see what they did because they made another five movies. And plus, Ali Larder's so hot and in three of them that I, I'm, I mean, so Mila, Mila. yeah, Jovovich is a smoke show. So, you know, and, and yeah, we went, we went whole hog. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about some other movies that you and I have watched this year, but this has started Another way for us to torture ourselves. Yeah. We are watching every movie, every movie, in chronological order outside of... Every live action movie. Yes. Outside of the Super Mario Brothers movie, because you literally can't stream it anywhere. Yeah. And it's... It's gonna it's gonna be trouble. Every every video it's, game movie. That's in case you didn't catch that. Yeah, we just watched Double Dragon. And yeah, and I know the the more recent we get, I have a feeling the worse they're gonna get somehow. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly dreading getting to Assassin's Creed, even though I like M- Michael Fassbender. Yeah, it's gonna be fucking, it's gonna, it's gonna be, be boring. It's go, it's gonna so hurt. boring. Yeah. Uh, well, and I just wanted to tie off the Resident Evil thing. It was uh, so worth watching all six movies, just like looking for a fun action movie, kind of a romp. And to me, it was definitely, it was what? Retribution, and what was the one Afterlife that came before that? It was four, movies four and five, 
felt like basically two halves of the same thing. I mean, the the fifth movie even starts with like the end of the first, the yeah. fourth movie directly after, and they just have like such a extremely stylized but in a good way feel to them, and they 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 really at that point nailed like the action horror badass. There's this whole like. Uh, like romance undercurrent with Ali Larder character and Mila Jovovich and like that whole thing was happening. Plus there's these huge dudes bags on their heads and huge hammer axes and that shit. It, it's just so interesting to me because it's, it's this weird part of pop culture that it made a ton of fucking money. Yeah. And it's by far got the most live action movies out of any video game movie. I think Blood Rain has three. Yeah. That's the only one I can think of that has like a ton of sequels. Yeah, I don't know. It it it's just it's just wild to me because it's so it's so everything about it is like insane. Like it's all just taken everything in the movies, everything in the even the games. Like the the thing that they stay truest to is that the plots are bananas and, and Umbrella is like you can't even comprehend. The mega evil. Yeah, and, and the movies take that and run with it and honestly, like, have a ton of fun. And I wasn't upset that, like, I wasn't going into it looking for, like, Stalker 2 or, like, you know what I mean? Or The Seventh Seal or whatever. Like, I'm looking for... No, that's a shitty movie. I'm thinking of... <laughs> uh, no, that... What's the movie with, uh, you know, the Ingmar Bergman movie? Is it... It's not The Seventh Seal. It's, uh... You know, the one where the guy plays chess with death. I don't remember what it's called. Max One Side Out. Oh, God, this is going to be... Anyways. To me, this is more like Running Man. But the movies do... (laughs) Yeah. yeah, They do feel very Japanese, Yeah, strangely enough. But anyway, we're we're going to... Let's move on. Let's move on. We're going to dive deep into there. We also watched Double Dragon, um, which, for the most part, was... I I just... The whole whole time, I'm like, Chotomate? Like what? What's happening? What's going on? Yeah, but but then Alyssa Milano would show up looking thick. thicker than a dump truck. Oh my like, god! Oh. Wow! <laughs> Whew. Really fucked me up. Uh, another good thing. So I want to jump into the one 2020 movie I watched in a second. But the other. So sadly, I left you in the dust. But we did kind of started together. It's been a weird ride. I watched all of Twin Peaks this year. I mean, I've seen everything up to the return multiple times, but then this year, Alexa was down to watch it. We started it, and we watched all of season one, all of season two, which is, you know, as painful as it is at times. Basically, anytime James Hurley was on the screen, we booed and hissed and booed and hissed, and then he just disappears the last five episodes, and it was so good. I've rewatched the first two seasons twice this year. Yeah. And then we watched Firewalk with me, and then we started The Return, but I secretly started it with you first, and then I was watching the first eight episodes back and forth with you, and then Alexa, and then you, and then Alexa, and then Alexa and I moved past you, and we've now finished it, and I'm not going to say anything about where all that goes. I'll hit you in the mouth. I know. Uh, But the nice thing is that, like, we were able to watch it at our own pace. We did not binge. We binged some season one and two era... uh, the episodes um, or sections, I should say. But as far as the return went, we really took it slow. And I mostly more than she, because I wanted to be able to just piece out this, like the first time I'm ever going to get to see this. I don't want to do it in a day. You know what I mean? And 
it is the new high water mark for prestige television. There's like no question. It's yeah. just that's the thing though, right? You, you know, you're talking about like I can binge the original series. Sure. Um, the original series for me is at this point like a like a security blanket. Yeah, like if absolutely. I'm like real sad, like I'll put on a few episodes or like. When I was in the hospital a bunch, I was watching it a bunch of times in between watching other movies and stuff. The return feels... The episodes feel more like a feature film. And there's even options on the... I don't know what it is for your Z to A collection. My DVDs or Blu-rays are exactly the same as yours. Oh, perfect. So, yeah, there's options to watch like two episodes as feature film length. And it works really good that way because I don't maybe maybe I can binge the original series at this point just because we've seen it so many times. Yeah, you know what I mean. But the return feels like something that you remember when you used to be able to go to movies. <laughs> you used to be able to go to movie theaters. You remember that? Yeah. And you'd go see it with a few people, and then like you get to go outside and like think about smoke it, a smoke a cigarette, talk, talk about it. That's how episodes of The Return feel for me. It's, you know, I, I watch an episode or two, and then, like, I need to sit with it. I need to kind of stew on it, really take it all in. And and we're saying this like it's a revelation, but everybody else watched it three years ago. Yeah, I mean, okay, this. guys, listen. Yeah, fuck you, but... We're, we were too busy getting laid and getting paid. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. It's actually a whole story for us, but it's not that interesting, so we're going to spare you. But I agree. It's it's such an amazing piece of art that is such a good one to enjoy with another person, multiple people to talk about. It's like, I mean, I remember the days of Game of Thrones parties where it was fun to watch it and see it and whatever, but it wasn't like there was dissection needed after the fact there wasn't really typically mysteries as far as other than what was going to happen the next time whereas every episode of the return is it you know you're presented with like oh here's some answers to the things from the past couple episodes but for every answer you get like seven more questions there's more and many of those questions are never resolved never answered and to your point of it feels like a movie the having done a little bit of after-the-fact research and podcast listening, it was a completed script when they started filming, and it was shot like a movie. So that was that's all intentional, and yeah. it's part of the reason that there was a big discussion the year it came out with um, different film festivals and stuff of, like, can we count this as a movie? So it won awards as, like, best film of the year by some magazines and other things like that and whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been waiting three years didn't hurt me. And honestly, it was just like, I got to watch it at the right time and enjoy it in such an amazing way. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it might be Lynch at his best for me. Um, I'm not sure. I, Blue Velvet's one of my favorite all time movies. Yeah. I really don't think you, you know, the older I get, the less I feel like favorites are an important part, important distinctions to draw. You know what I mean? Like we, especially as people who have command over the media we want to ingest, it's not like I have to see a movie once or twice, catch it at the theaters and then like spend the rest of my life thinking about it. We can watch like anything. So I don't need to have a favorite or even rank stuff because it's like, yeah, it doesn't do me any good to say, you know, well, it's, it's, 
for me, Blue Velvet is one of those movies that I. That's one of my like go-to recommendations if someone's looking for something that's like a little bit more arty, and not just, you know, the new action movie with Vin Diesel in it or Mila Jovovich. So yeah, go watch the Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and to that end, I will say that we we did rewatch Lost Highway immediately before we started the return and. That is a movie that, for me at least, holds up massively. And there are so many tits. It is like such a quality TNA film throughout the entire runtime. Really good stuff there. So, okay. So, I guess I'll mention, as far as Prestige uh, TV goes, I also watched... So, this was a fun one. Flex, Lexa, and I were celebrating our three-year anniversary in April... And we decided that weekend that we would watch the Chernobyl miniseries. So we oh. watched the entire Chernobyl yes. miniseries in like 24 hours, which is about the least romantic and most depressing way to spend a weekend together. It was amazing, as I expected it to be. But also, like I didn't really know what to expect. And it was... I mean, again, I'm late to the party. So this... Italian, Italian chef kiss. Mwah. Yeah, it was so it was so good. And I've never been to Ukraine, but I've been quite close when I was in Russia. I was like essentially almost on the border with Ukraine. I don't know. I mean, I've seen a little bit of that part of the world, and I've you know spent a little time in Russia, and it was just like we get it. You're well traveled. No, no, right. but I mean to have an even like closer point of reference, you know, beyond yeah. just like watching Russian webcam porno stuff, or you know, seeing like <laughs> or Russian dash cam stuff. Right, or... <laughs> right, exactly. Like it was, it was, it was cool, and it, you know, it was. I really appreciated the way that they were able to. You know, they took creative li- li- license with some stuff. They told it in a way that would make it, you know, I think still a strong story while also being able to explain some complicated stuff. And, but, you know, still, like, explain something that was just extremely important historically and also interesting and, you know, give insight into the Soviet system. And there's so much they had to leave out, but there's still so much in there. And then the actors just... Like, I love Stellan Skarsgård, so that was half the reason mm, I really yeah. wanted to watch it. But Jared Harris was amazing, and uh, not em- Emily Watson was, you know, really, she was really awesome. And But, I mean, especially lots of the, almost all the people you didn't know, they were that much more impressive. Because they, like, all the performances felt very real. Like, not it wasn't like I was watching a dramatized event. It was like, no... If a nuclear reactor was melting down or, well, melted down and yada yada, like, you saw your husband liquefy in front of your fucking face. Well, what was crazy for me is that uh, my wife is not someone who watches shows like that alone. Mm. And I'll have this thing where, like, I'll test out a show before I show it to her. Yeah. I'll watch, like, the first episode or two and be like, no, that's something I need to watch with my wife. And... She, I think in like one or two sittings, watched the whole series without me. Wow. So I had to watch it ostensibly by myself. And it. I guess it was a much different experience because at that point, because, you know, you're in a relationship or you're trying to watch somebody with something with somebody 
And like occasionally you'll look over and they're like looking at your their phone. And you're like, I'm, come on, we're like experiencing this. Mm. And it was it was nice because I got to experience it with my wife, but I also didn't ever have to worry about what she was doing on her side of the couch. Sure. It, I w- it was just full focus while getting to hang out with my wife, and on top of it, just being a phenomenal miniseries. Yeah. And it's really worth if you've seen it or if you haven't seen it. Either way, checking out they did a podcast series. Uh, that's interviews with Jared Harris, and uh, it's like the whole time, and I think the showrunner and somebody else, maybe Jared Harris isn't there, I can't even remember now, but it's, there's, I think it's, however many episodes there are of the show, there's that many episodes of the podcast, it's eight or ten, they're in like an hour long each, and I listen to those all in three days after I watch the show. And then plus, being in that mindset of, sort of post-industrial or not that's not even the right word but like industrial russia whatever i watched tarkovsky's stalker again like a week later and that movie just puts me into a like a whole mental place for like an extended period of time because it's just i don't know just it's it's a it's a that's a movie so if we're talking about certain things uh that we've not watched together mike flanagan you know him, you love him. He directed Oculus mm. and wrote Oculus. He is also the showrunner for the uh, limited series that is almost is becoming an anthology series at this point: Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor. Ah, uh, um, I know you weren't huge on Hill House, right? I didn't watch it at all. Okay, I just don't go for the haunting stuff. So it's... I loved Haunting of Hill House. I thought it was incredibly well done. There's a lot of actors that I liked in it. Uh, some of which, I don't remember their names right now, but some of which have actually gotten bigger roles now. Now, I I watched the Invisible Man movie not long after it came out. Mm-hmm. Fucking hated it. Yeah. But one of the reoccurring actors from that show was in it. Anyway, not to belittle the point, The Haunting of Bly Manor I wasn't sure if I was going to like it more or less or just about the same as Haunting of Hell House. Now, minor spoiler for Haunting of Hell House, there is one episode that is... I can just watch it again and again. It's almost shot as one continuous shot, and it's in a funeral home with a family. Uh, one of the characters... One of the, one of the, Family members, you're probably never going to watch this show, so I'll ruin it for you. Um, one of the family members is dead. Uh, her, and it's it's siblings and the dad, right? So it's all of them having all this family drama while, like, slightly spooky things are kind of going on. And just the way it's shot and the way all of the scenes are put together and the events unfold in it, it's all real time. It's, it's very well done. Uh, directorially... Bly Manor didn't have that same effect on me, but it was still really well done, and it it seems that if he continues with these series, he's doing things that take like a standard human drama thing, like uh, Haunting of Hill House was more about turmoil of family relationships. The Haunting of Bly Manor was more so about I guess relationships like um, you know Romantic. love 
love relationships. As romantic. Opposed, yeah, romantic relationships. Thank you. I'm an idiot. But it was love relationship. Love relationship. It's like a relationship, but with love. It was. It's really well done. I don't think it's better just because of the one episode from Hell House, but a lot of the reoccurring character, a few of the reoccurring actors are there. It's definitely worth the watch. Um, and as I'm sure some of you guys know, I'm also a huge found footage fan. Uh, not because they're good, just because I think they're fun. And as we all know, Dick Fetty hates found footage for the I most do. part. I do, for the most part. E- except for As Above, So Below. It gets him so rot. He just shoots ropes as soon as they like go to the catacombs. I like that movie so much. It just it boggles my mind. <laughs> it's Anyway. I know. I'm wrong. I My guilty pleasure is the Blackwell Ghost series. Mm. They're all on Amazon. And it, it it's just so genius to me because it's this one writer-director who used to make these like really low-budget, self-produced horror movies, and none of them got off the ground, really. Nobody really watched any of them. They never really made any money. So he started making these found-footage films about hauntings and stuff. And I, I, I like it because like a lot of haunting stuff and a lot of found-footage haunting stuff really stirs away from what could actually happen if hauntings are real this keeps it like pretty grounded in the idea that oh if hauntings are real these are the actual kinds of things that happen in hauntings like you're not getting picked up by your throat and thrown across a room but like a ball might move you might see a shadow you might hear some voices you might hear some like loud bangs and stuff like that so basically like when you're super stoned and all the things yeah. you just hear in your head or when like you're coming down off ecstasy and you're Having full-on audio audio hallucinations, auditory hallucinations in your bathtub alone. Yeah, is that oddly specific? No, they're good. But anyway, they're a ton of fun, and they're mostly pretty cheap. They're all on Amazon for. I think the first one is on Prime, but the dude's just he he can't be spending much money making these movies, and everyone's like everyone who rents them. It's you know. Here's some money for Amazon. Here's some money for me. So, like, he's got to be making a dickload of money off of it. Just avoiding theaters, avoiding trying to sell it to certain companies. I, I just think it's genius. They're a lot of fun. Um, we watched a couple really, really bad ones. I can't remember the names of them off the top of my head. But there's this one where it was, like, two ghost hunters. And it's fully played on like the movie is real. It's never... You watch found footage and you're like, this is, like, definitely, like, found footage. For the first 10 minutes, they're full-on portraying it like it's actually like a real documentary. And then it just goes off the rails and is really fucking incredibly stupid. Then we watched, I think it's the Phoenix Tapes 97. Oh, oh, what a pile of hot fucking garbage. Dick Fetty, let me explain something to you. Have you ever wanted to see a movie where every single kill is the same exact thing, and none of them happen on screen? No. Then don't watch this movie. Okay. Uh, that That's all I have for uh, found footage. Um, there Durr. is two movies from a director I found recently that I really liked.
Oz Perkins or Osgood Perkins. He did I Am The Pretty Thing That Lives In The House, which I thought was a lot of fun. That's on Netflix for free. It's a ghost story. It has a very Victorian ghost story feel to it, which was really cool. And then he also did The Black Coat's Daughter, which some parts of it don't make a whole lot of sense, but on the whole, I thought the movie was really, really good. I think that might be somewhere streaming for free, too. And then he also did that uh, Gretel and Hansel movie that came out recently that I have yet to see, but I heard story-wise, since he didn't write it, wasn't super good, but visually was done super, super well. Okay. Um, maybe we'll watch them. I think you'd have more fun with the Black Coast Daughter, because I know you're not really into ghost shit, but... Um, I, I, it, it's nice when I find a new horror movie director that is not, like, totally taken over by, like, studio push-out garbage shit, because I've had so many people talk to me about all, like, the Conjuring movies and Annabelle movies that come out. I'm like, get away from me. I don't want to talk to you. Those movies aren't even fun. Big it true. Yeah. I'm sorry, am I boring you? No, I just, it's like, you know how when you get the yawns, they just keep coming. Yeah. So we decided, guys, for your benefit and for ours, we're going to split these episodes and we'll finish our movie discussion for the year wrap-up and then we're going to move the music and video games to BDMFT so these aren't four-hour episodes. Unless that's what you want. I don't know anymore. You guys don't fucking contact us. Did we do something to you? So you hit on your found footage stuff. So I wanted to mention, I may have mentioned this before on the podcast, I don't think so, but I watched Samurai Spy by Masahiro Shinoda from 1965. He's the same director who did Pale Flower, which I uh, Mm. talked about at length in our Yakuza Films episode. And this is a samurai film that... I have, as part of a Criterion Samurai film uh, collection, like box set thing, a bunch of films by different directors, and he's an interesting director because he's done a lot of like artsy flicks, and then he's done a lot of genre flicks that sort of go above and beyond, and Pale Flower is a good example of that. Uh, it's so much more than a Yakuza flick. It's, I mean, it is, it's 100% a Yakuza film, but then at the same time, it's like this ultra nihilistic portrait of a totally fucked relationship and sort of the I uh, can't think of the German name it's Totes Toads Totes Magotes yeah <laughs> you know the death drive um, <laughs> and so anyways the first thing that you might read if you read about it online is that it's super complicated and it's a little complicated I mean it's tough as a western viewer when you're hit with like 14 different Japanese names in the first five minutes because the film takes place during uh, Civil War, and they talk about the different sides, the Shogun versus the Emperor, and the clans that are fighting for them, and then the heads of the clans, and those heads, like, second-in-commands, and you hear all this really rapid fire. But if you just watch the movie, the stuff gets explained as it goes along. You'll be fine. Right. It's it's like, you know, any kind of uh, exposition-heavy, especially spy-type movies. This is not that different than reading a Lakari book or a Ludlum book or anything like that. It feels overly complicated at first and then it, it um, reveals itself. And one of the coolest parts about it is that there are so many parts of the movie that just feel like, oh, this hugely influenced anime to come. And maybe it didn't, but there's a 
one of the like lead assassin guys wears all white and uses this sort of like grappling hook weapon and it's just like straight up a boss from a video game <laughs> or like a boss from an anime and um the the sort of main guys whole dilemma the women in the movie are all like hyper stylized in their own kind of way and it's relatively fast paced i think it's really beautifully shot and it's one of those where again it's just like it's pretty pretty nihilistic in a lot of ways and i like that the story and the motives and the actors and what's happening isn't clear the whole time like it's definitely a movie that you can't just half pay attention to and know where you're at by the end but it's a really rewarding film to watch intently and at the same time is a sick ass samurai movie you know what we did watch which just popped in my brain kill is that the name of the movie yeah yeah and i i feel like we discussed that on the podcast previously that was part of the same box set yeah kill was really fun because that's with tatsuya nakadai and if memory or was it toshiro mifune in that one was it Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean kill was a weird one because that was the one that had like almost comedy bits and stuff yeah we we thought it was going to be like a lot more serious and a lot more blood and there was a decent amount of blood but it was it was a lot more lighthearted than we expected it to be yeah that's for sure it was um and this summer i i basically spent six months of the year watching nothing but japanese films which is even more than usual for me i mean i really went hard in the summer months because i got the criterion channel subscription and then i just would sit in my back room every night after work and like watch at least one samurai film or yakuza film and to that same end the other movie that i watched was by hideo gosha who did sort of the beast which i've watched years ago and he did another movie that's i'm i can't think of off the top of my head but he's a famous genre director for mostly yakuza and samurai films and he's got an interesting story all on its own but Sword in the Dark, or I'm sorry, rather, Hunter in the Dark is Tatsuya Nakadai, Sonny Chiba, and I'm trying to think. There's another actor in it, but, well, there's many actors in it, but. No. Yeah. Is that a one-man play? It's this, it's a Yakuza film, but it's set in the Edo period, so it's basically like a samurai Yakuza film, and it's from the 80s, or I'm sorry, it's from 1979, but it's it feels more like an 80s era movie. Right. And again, like knowing some history about the Japanese studio system and what was happening as far as like Japanese media films and all that is kind of can help with like understanding the movie as a whole. But it's a long, bloody, miserable movie and in the best way possible. But oh, it's it's the fucking dude. He was like a biker and a million other things. He's in a bunch of movies. He's this like he's like Snake Plissken or Solid Snake, rather, like, as an actor in Japan who just acted over, like, five or six decades. And in this movie, he's this guy who winds up working for Tatsuya Nakadai, who's, like, a major mob boss in Tokyo, and he's trying to take over the underworld. And the movie starts with him, like, being woken up. He's got a naked girl next to him. He's got to go on this mission, and he is rowed out under this bridge on this little boat... And he rips a piece of bamboo out and then sharpens the end of it. And as these two palanquins go overhead on this wooden bridge, he shoves up one of the, like the bamboo stick through one of the slats in the wooden boards of the bridge. And then like pierces the palanquin and kills the dude on top. 
and then like jumps up on top and then kills everybody out there and then Tatsuya Nakodai jumps out and he's like I've got a job for you it's such a sick intro and again like one of those things where I'm like oh this is just I mean obviously did we watch this together or did you just show me the intro no neither of those things happened I just told you about it immediately after I feel like I've seen it yeah maybe but it wasn't with me it's just one of those where again like obviously anime is influenced by Japanese major cinema but it was like one of those where it felt so close to like that kind of like really hardcore 80s and 90s anime where it was just tits and violence and more violence and more tits the the violence in the movie is so exceptional it's so good but the story itself is really i felt compelling again it's like a multi-layered there's so much backstabbing there's so many different players and there's this incredibly just bad time ending fight sequence with sunny chiba and it's it's a movie that's like plays out like a greek tragedy it's just full of pathos and like obviously not going to go well and for all of the amazing movies i saw over the summer that was definitely a highlight like i just 10 minutes in after that opening sequence i was like well fuck yeah i'm on board (laughs) i am sold yeah and by the you know there's this bathhouse assassination attempt where four chicks try to kill the main dude and it's just like all these half naked people fighting and the com like the combat's not even the right word it's it's like these brutal life and death struggles i remember it was such a big deal when eastern promises came out by cronenberg and there's this whole brutal bathhouse sequence with vigo mortensen where he basically kills a bunch of dudes in the buff with an ice pick and it was like that but that was the whole movie like everything was such a brutal crawling like you know dirt under your nails struggle and it really felt like raw and real and heavy and was just i very much want to see more of hideo gosha's stuff because he's apparently got a pretty interesting ouvre and um i was very impressed with this movie so i guess we'll have to watch it together yeah for sure uh the other so i'll i guess we'll end with the silly ones the other two really good ones i saw as sort of a coda to the shinya sukamoto episodes so I got the amazing box set that Arrow put out in the United States for a bunch of Shin Tsukamoto films. It's Tetsuo the Iron Man, the Body Hammer, Bullet Ballet, and what was the other one? Tokyo Fist, Kotoko, and I think Vitals on the yeah, it's Vital. Vitals on the yeah. So I have a couple of those movies already, but it's nice to see these like, you know, new new transfers blu-ray high def whatever especially for tetsu the iron man which was like going from watching a badly like a a fourth generation vhs rip to seeing it in high def for a movie that's still like i mean it you know it's limited by the the way that it was created but it was it was like watching it for the first time um but i watched kotoko or kotoko by myself one night like thinking it was going to be a way more chill sukamoto affair because it's about this pop idol and, like, yada yada. It was probably the most brutal movie he's ever made. I was just, like, I felt assaulted. And it's it's got a lot of, like, classic Tsukamoto stuff. Uh, there's some elements of, like, distorted body horror. And, well, there's major elements of it at parts. But it's, like, his... Between his camera work 
and you know which is very active and jittery at times and his really awesome ability to blend reality with dream and never tell you which one's which but then having the whole story revolve around a woman trying to essentially like get well enough to take care of her child and struggling extremely hard to do that it was like whoa heavy shit and also apparently very autobiographical with Kotoko who's like the star of the film and also a real actress or an idol and yada yada like it her sister plays her sister in the movie like there's there's all this like weird reality of these people's lives mixed in with the fiction of the movie and it was like not a good time it was a very good film not a good time at all (laughs) and uh and then as a sort of like palate cleanser i watched gemini which is uh his earlier much you know we talked about it i think in the second episode of the shinya sukumoto series and it's with uh there's a brief appearance by tada nobo uh, asano and the the main actor in it is this uh he was a j-pop like just coming out of i think of a boy band so he was like a big deal, you know, handsome boy. And they had this other woman who was like a, a big deal, sort of artsy pop idol. And it's an Edogawa Rampo story. And it is, it's like a horror movie mixed with like a period drama. And I remember them talking about, Shinya Tsukamoto talking in interviews about it in the book that I used as a primary source. Like they made that movie look expensive with way less money than they had yes. like it looked way fancier than it than it was and it is fucking gorgeous it's i would say story-wise because it's so it feels so much more uh separate from reality like it, it clearly feels like a fairy tale compared to the rest of his movies which right. are sci-fi in some ways but still grounded in like that gritty city reality this is this has like a an out of time quality but at the same time it just felt like a really like an updated taro ishii film from his like wild late 60s period of doing like orgies of edo and shogun's joy of torture and all that shit and it also had the the budo dancer guy who's in all those movies of course it did and it was just so fun like i was i was such a relief to watch that after kodoko and be like (laughs) Okay, this is just the kind of horror I can handle, you know what I mean? This like, is what happiness feels yeah, like. Yeah, there, there's some, like, you know, uh, interpersonal drama, horror, whatever bullshit, but, like, there was no fucking kids, like, getting taken away from their moms and their moms having mental breakdowns and cutting themselves for, like, extended periods, and I was like, uh, you know, all, all things have their place, but, like, right now I just... I feel sad. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was really cool, so I... And the other movie, I think that's part of that box that I haven't watched yet, is The Killing, which is his most recent one. So I think I'm three films shy of seeing every movie he's made now. The Killing is probably the one I've been wanting to watch the most. Well, really want to watch Tokyo Fist. And you've never seen The Body Hammer still to this day. So. That's true. But maybe a triple feature. But I think I think we should end to this this. Motel Howell talking about two of the most important films from the last 20 years, which are Dracula 2000 and Dracula 3000. Well, we got one more film to talk about after okay. that. Okay, okay. Let's do that first. Oh, why don't we talk about that first then? Okay. All right. So, I don't know if you guys know this, <laughs> but we like Cronenberg. 
Did you know that? Did yeah. You know? Okay. So, I still feel like I should redo that Cronenberg episode, but how do you think I feel about Carpenter? Yeah, we're just not going to talk about. You know, we we finally hit our stride with Sukamoto, and when the other directors that we want to delve into, when we get there, it'll full, be full that. G. Quality. Fulci's going to be uh, another three-parter minimally. I mean, we have two big-ass books. I mean, that's the other thing. We could also talk about the Fulci movies we've seen this year, but we're not going to. So, David Cronenberg, guess what? He reproduced. Yeah, he nutted. He's and, a breeder. Yeah. And then uh, his son decided that he also wanted to make crazy horror movies. And I've been seeing trailers and stuff for Possessor for a while and all of a sudden it, it just popped up one day on Amazon Prime. Because this is all pandemic era. Yeah. And we we decided we, we were like looking at all these different movies and we weren't sure if we should watch Possessor because it's one of those things, right? Like it's got a Cronenberg name on it, but like can it be that good? Yeah. Although and neither of us had seen any viral, which was the no. movie he did like 6 years before that. Which from what I understand a lot of people actually like more. Yeah. Uh which is one we are going to watch. Yeah, at we some watched point. that trailer after we watched Possessor yeah. and I was like, I that looks bored. gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's got Caleb Landry Jones who's like definitely one of those those faces in the last decade of acting who's motherfucker knows how to choose some interesting he's like Robert Pattinson in the sense of outside of Twilight like he didn't have a mainstream vehicle to, to then allow him to do whatever weird stuff he want and of course Pattinson now works a ton with Cronenberg but yeah. anyways so and spoilers guys so if if you want to see this movie blind just go watch it yeah you, you have to see it blind don't listen to this part because we will you don't want to... Yeah. It'll take away big time. Pause the episode. Go watch the movie. Come back. Come back. Start from the beginning of the episode. <laughs> listen to it all again. And then five star us wherever you can. Yeah. Anyway. Also, uh, subscribe to our OnlyFans. <laughs> so, the movie... You remember actors' names better than I. Name them. So, Sean Bean is... The dad, yeah, of the main character's girlfriend. The main chick in it is the chick from Mandy, whose name I don't know and have committed to memory. Jennifer, but I do love her. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee plays her boss, and the other guy I don't know, but he's I'm sure people would know him, but you know I'm more familiar with people from the past than the present. So, so and is there anybody else? That's really kind of it. That's really it. The, her husband in the film, I know people know, and he's was in another movie that that's been, you know. But I, I'm, it's a mixture of like, well, you guys know Ben certainly does. I hate everything new, and it's true. And I won't do anything if people like it, because I'm still childish as fuck. There, there, there is part of this movie that suffers from like that new era moviness. We'll get to it, but anyway, plot of the movie, um, it's just really violent. Inception. So essentially, the uh, there's this company. I guess I get they're a company, yeah. right? Uh, they use this machine to uh, help someone possess the body of another person, and then they use that other body to commit assassination and then 
commit suicide normally. Yeah, so there's there's a host side where they do an implant. They basically kidnap the person that they're gonna um, possess, and they they crack open their brain and they pop in a little implant, and yada yada. And then there's the uh, parasite side, which is at the agency's facility where the possessor then is like you know essentially through radio waves and whatever takes over while she sits in this like kind of a cool chair yeah (laughs) that looks like a plague doctor mask yeah so the the chick from mandy is the main character she's the the titular possessor and she's got like a perfect look for this sort of androgynous post-human whatever kind of a thing just strung out look yeah and the the you know from the top visually the movie fucking rules like there's no question about that i think it's it's very strong and it has its own unique aesthetic there are certainly aspects in a general way that like nod towards videodrome or other movies of that kind of ilk where they but only in the sense of like videodrome has its own complete aesthetic and this movie in my opinion had its own complete aesthetic uh, that had some very, you know, minor similarities, but... Technology that seems older than it should be. Vapes. Technology, yeah, technology that's newer <laughs> than it should be. That that was probably the, the weirdest element of the movie that was so obvious and, like, strange and weird and ubiquitous was, like, the use of vapes. Like, everyone in Vancouver... It was, was it Vancouver or Toronto? It was Vancouver. I'm almost positive it's Vancouver. Everyone was vaping. Like, like prominently vaping all the time. It was so strange. And, like, I don't know what that's about. Maybe if you're from Vancouver, you get a big laugh. But it was, like, fucking weird. I guess they're trying to say it was the future and everyone vapes in the future. Nobody but... smokes cigarettes anymore. Everybody vapes. Yeah, that was, like, the... That definitely pulled me out of the film because you're just, like, laughing sometimes. Like, okay, we get it. You vape. And, uh... Yeah, but maybe, like, 40 years from now, like, it'll seem, like, a little bit more normal. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you watch a Japanese movie, and, like, you expect to see people smoke hundreds of cigarettes. Hundreds. You know what I mean? But anyway, so, the uh, girl from Mandy goes, very beginning, takes this job, kind of butchers it, but completes it. And, the, like, they're kind of worried about her, and it seems like being a possessor can have some effects on your mentality oh, and stuff. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So... The rest of the movie is about her trying to commit this one assassination and losing control and then the guy she's possessing kind of gains control back. And it's the the way they do the fight for control of the body is just beautiful. It's really cool. It's really well done. Um, I don't want... You get a lot of, like, sections. I, I would say that visually, it the probably closest similarities to anything was the movie pre-Mandy that uh, Panatos or Cos- Cosmatos or whatever that dude's name was, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yeah. It has a very much, like, retro future, but also future. Lots of oranges and shit like that. And there are sections of the film that feel like this would be a sick uh, music video for something on, like, Hyperdub or Warp Records or whatever, some kind of, like... You know, or even um, Rosternoten or something like that. And to me, as somebody who likes that shit, like, even though some people might say it's style over substance and they rely too heavily on that, I didn't mind as much because I'm fine with visually conveying things without 
as much dialogue or even necessarily depth of message because that's why I'm watching a movie instead of enjoying some other medium. But I, to me, like I think the easiest criticism to make of the film was that there wasn't a larger idea really portrayed by it. It was more of like, here's the plot, here's like the the risks that she takes, like this is what might happen, and then these things happen. Like there isn't a, a bigger social commentary or anything else to make, whereas like Videodrome and maybe some other movies of this kind of similar feeling do that. In in many ways it's like Beyond the Black Rainbow where the movie felt like it was gonna get towards something bigger and then just didn't. Although that movie has a much more frustrating ending than uh, <laughs> Possessor does in I my very fr- So, okay. I guess we'll get into it. My biggest issue with Possessor was the fucking ending. Yeah. It's just like... So many movies nowadays have to do this where they they just butcher the ending and they, they try to... It almost feels like... Th- the writer director gets to the ends like I ain't put enough edginess into this. I need to slam some more into it. So, long story short, the spoilers, spoilers, eh, spoilers. The guy who's being possessed starts to gain control, but also kind of taps into his possessor's memories a bit. So he finds himself on the doorstep of the family uh, of her family home, right? And I would have been totally fine if he just um, killed the husband and killed the kid after the kid had shot him, right? But that one last moment where you hear her boss go, pull me out, I'm like, come on, man, like, really... Yeah, that didn't bother me at all. Like I, it thought, just felt unnecessary to me. Yeah, I guess so. But to me, it was like sometimes I feel movies try to make stories more meaningful or complicated than they need to be, and this felt like that was sort of what I liked about it was there wasn't something bigger. Like it was just like a simple story in the sense of part of it was. She's doing this complicated assignment. She sort of, you know, again, like, fucks it up in part because she's not being honest with her boss. Like, she's she's basically dealing with complicated feelings of, like, I'd rather be detached alone and just, like, possessing people than have this family life. But, like, when she's with them, she feels certain pulls towards it. And, you know, part of the resolution of the mission is not only completing the mission, but also severing the ties so that when she returns to the real world, she, uh, you know no longer has those family ties and, you know, will not be able to possess probably easier because she's, she's this, and, and the boss meddling, like no shit. Like, you know, to me, it was like, obviously a a group that does corporate espionage via assassins, via like head, head drilling and everything else is going to have like no moral qualms about anything. So if a kid's got to go and the boss has got to be involved to, pull that switch like it felt more real than any other kind of ending yeah i I agree that they didn't have to necessarily involve jennifer jason lee in that sense but it was also like they built up the broken psyche part of it which again is like there's a question of how much she was really losing control versus how much she was allowing him to act on her behalf and like sort of being on a next tier level of possessing of like making him think he had control when he did it so she essentially could say I'm not guilty when he comes, takes over and does what she didn't mm-hmm. want to do or 
Whatever. There, I think there's... it didn't ruin the movie for me. Right. I still absolutely loved it, and I'm still very excited for when we get to watch Antiviral. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I will say it's bloody as fuck. Yes. It's like incredibly bloody. And the the thing that was really cool, I thought one of the most sort of surprisingly like effective parts of the film was that the guy she takes over is this ex coke dealer, still coke using. Uh, married into this heiress to a technology company uh, who is, she's one of the targets as is her father. And he's like this near do well, you know, trying to get off the blow ish kind of a guy. And the whole way in which he acts both as somebody possessed and, and in the brief scenes you get to see him before it to me comes out very real and having been although i never was able to even pretend to do coke casually for the most part like the settings that he finds himself in outside of the the big party at uh sean bean's house as the way he acts is very like oh like i could just i could just remember that and i i thought that they conveyed what most movies get so wrong so well which is like casual drug use in a way that like makes you even in yourself even if you weren't being possessed by somebody else feel outside of yourself and outside of your own skin like yeah i i I really did love the whole scene like the whole thing where she possessed him and then like they go out and party a little bit and they like he comes back and she's there with all her friends doing coke and they do some coke and then he goes to the bathroom and her friend is just like hey you know, I'm back in town, and, you know, she's still cool with us fucking, so, like, you know, come over whenever, and it's just like, man, rich people got it made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then they have crazy coked-up sex. Yeah, which felt, that was the only part that felt maybe a little unreal, but they probably popped to Cialis, and they yeah. had to go. The, the other thing I would mention is, having done a fair amount of virtual reality via Vive at uh, my friend's house, there's a scene where he's in, like, VR doing his data mining job, when she's possessing the guy and he has to go to work. Which I found hilarious. It was not only hilarious, but it was like also such to me, that was the one of the few parts of the movie that really, they made a, a prediction of like future job if it's not already something happening that felt so real. It was like they're in this huge, gorgeous, like super high tech building and then they just throw them in this... Basement. Like, yeah, there's like fucking, you know, unfinished basement thing and they're sitting with VR goggles, which is just like, that's the whole thing because if you can VR yourself elsewhere, it doesn't matter where you are. And it was just like, I thought that part was so good. Like that, that I really was tickled by that whole little segment, but. Yeah, good movie. And now we move on to two better movies. Yeah. So I, we watched in reverse order, so I think we should cover as such. Dracula 3000. I didn't even bother to write these directors down. This is not it's fine. something that matters. It's fine. So Dracula 3000 is the sequel to Dracula 2000, which is the sequel to Bram Stoker's Dracula. I guess? And, uh, you know, more of just the amalgamation of how many years has it been? 80, 90 years of just... Well, when did you write this book? Mid-1800s? I don't even know. I don't fucking know. Yeah, just like... <laughs> you know, uh, human vampire experience distilled into pure fucking petrified shit. So Dracula 3000 stars Casper Van Dien, 
Julio and then uh, has a brief drunken appearance ostensibly by Udo Kier who didn't even leave his garage <laughs> to record his video logs. Or or even remotely pretend to be sober during the whole no. thing. So he basically, it's kind of like Alien. They're on like a ghost, ghost like it's a freighter ship and they're, they're carrying, spoilers, coffee dracula coffins from the transylvania system there's like a ton of like you know very basic references to brand stoker's dracula throughout like all sorts of different parts of the movie but it's on a budget that would make a sci-fi film look like a uh michael bay film and it, it was a sci-fi channel original budget and they did one of my favorite things it was that... less than that it was less than that it was a pbs yeah original budget they did one of my favorite things that movies of this caliber do which is hey we don't need to build a whole set if we just zoom in really close on the actors faces yeah so while they're on their own spaceship the the two guys flying it the captain the other guy you just see it's just zoomed in so much so they don't have to put anything in the background. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah, there's tons of bad CGI, like barely any real sets. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but the important things to know are, like, wild, wildly, not obviously badly written dialogue, but, like, just, like, the level of, like, sexism and, like, hateful sexual assault type shit that's, like, normal. It's just, It's just, like... From the get, like, I mean, the moment Coolio or whoever that other big black dude is that's in it, too, like... I mean, that's the thing, though, like, if you look at, like, the Dracula in general, like, there's a whole bunch of misogyny and, like, yeah, sexual but, assault stuff, like, this. that's just how the story is. No, really. I understand, but, I mean, like, the way that they do it is yeah. just, it, it is, like... Whoa, boy. Like, a 12-year-old wrote this. But Coolio gives the performance of his life. He does. He literally is one of the... So, it's one of the worst movies, like, in terms of all things that make a movie a movie I've ever seen. But it was easily one of the most fun movies we watched the whole year. Yeah. It was a it was a laugh riot. It's a it's ripe for riff tracks or, a, you know... Every scene that Dracula was in felt like a totally different movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was just... But Coolio is is the primary villain, I would say almost, yeah. and uh, phenomenal. Yeah, he does a really great job, and Casper Van Dien still looks good. It was just like a total sloppy, silly, <laughs> but it, it was a rated R style version of a sci fi channel movie, which is what made it so good. I yeah. think it, it it was just oh man, just just Coolio man. Yeah, he he more so than anyone else in that movie was at like. Whether or not his acting was actually good, Coolio was acting his fucking balls off. He took it so seriously. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah. So we watched that, and then we finally watched Dracula 2000, which we'd been uh, threatening to watch uh, (laughs) for some time. And the biggest sin of all was that it was incredibly boring. I mean, you've got a a, a soon-to-be... Uh, what do you call it? Convicted rapist, and you've got a bunch of other bad actors and a couple good actors who are like, you know, just in it for a, a I paycheck. I could use a paycheck. Yeah, Christopher Plummer, the dude who plays Sick Boy, and I can't even remember the women in the film. And then you've got Gerard Butler, who looks like Gerard Hafler. You would not recognize him because this is 
almost you know what five six years before Dracula or I mean uh, yeah Dracula two thousand uh, <laughs> three hundred. So he is like skinny. They try. I mean, he's Dracula. It's ridiculous, and and, and the 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 whole thing. The the thing to know about the movie, in my opinion, is that it is essentially a Virgin Records commercial. So there's tons <laughs> of uh, early two thousands Virgin Records butt rock uh, new metal bands. Oh my god! And there's this part where I think Monster Magnet's actually a good band at times. Certainly way before this movie came out. But he's like walking down what looks like to be the city walk steps in uh, Universal Studios. And he looks at this huge Jumbotron screen and it's a monster magnet video. And he's like, it's beautiful. It's art or like whatever. Like, because like that's true evil and Dracula totally gets down with monster magnet. And that tickles me in the one sense, but the way it's just all done, there are many, many scenes, like upwards of 20 scenes that take place in a Virgin Megastore record store. Uh, It's... It's bad. And it's the the only... Okay, so my only thing that I thought was, like, a decent, like, writing idea was... Spoilers. Is at the end, you find out that, like, all of, all of Dracula's weaknesses, right? His aversion to sunlight and silver and all that stuff all have to do with the fact that he was Judas. That he's, the, he's the betrayer. He is the one who betrayed Christ. And he was hung at sunset so he can't ever see the sun again and he was paid with silver and blah blah blah. That's that's like a pretty yeah, good I'm idea. Yeah, I'm fine with that, yeah. But, oh man, it just keeps going. Yeah. It's long. It's it's The problem is it's one of those movies where it takes itself seriously but there's nothing to kick it to a level where it's like you can enjoy it. It's not a gore film level of violence or gore it's not a tna fest by nope. any stretch of the imagination i mean it's ostensibly appealing to like teenagers who it can even get feels in. like gerard butler phones it in yeah and he didn't have a phone at the time i mean no. i don't think that might have been his first job it, it, it and it just it's it's a real bummer because there it could have been it could have been, there could have been something, but it was just like every aspect of it was just uninteresting. It was like, it was just a corporate product through and through and through, but it wasn't even ridiculous enough to warrant watching. It was the trailer and what you think you're going to get out of it is way better. I promise you than what you're going to experience. Yeah. Cause and the trailer I, gives you that, that he slept for a thousand years yeah. and you're like, this is going to be camp crazy bullshit yeah. and I'm here for it. And it's not, no, it's not even that Dracula 3000 was way more fun. So watch Dracula 3000. Yeah. Don't watch Dracula 2000. So, you know, even though we're splitting these episodes up, we still managed to make it long as hell. Uh, we hope you guys were able to stick it out and enjoy that. So, I mean, really, I think as far as bad events for the year, most we're, we're really kind of with everyone else, but happily we haven't had any major tragedies. So, you know, hopefully we can enjoy just all the fun things that we enjoyed. Check us out on Instagram. That's still up, although not particularly active. Check out our OnlyFans. It's up, but contentless at this point. And, you know, leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. Helps get our show out there a little bit more. And yeah, uh, I'm even, off. even if you don't have an iPhone, someone you know has an iPhone. Subscribe. Go on their iPhone. Subscribe. Five star review. Yeah, 
But uh, we appreciate you guys' continued support and patience. And, uh, you know, enjoy enjoy the rest of 2020 and hopefully enjoy 2021 a little bit more than this year. Love you guys. Later, nerds. Later.